We'll open our Bibles now in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 21, as we continue our exposition to the book of Kings. This morning we'll be reading from 1 Kings, chapter 21. Thus says the word of God. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and turned away his face, and would not eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him, and say unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest not no bread? And he say unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and say unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in, this, in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter, saying, Proclaim a fast, and sat Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out, and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles, who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. And as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast, and sat Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city, and stoned him with stones, that he died. Then they sent of Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, 
In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work witness, wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and laying sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. This far the reading of God's word. So as we read, our text this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 21, as we'll continue our series through the life of Elijah and Elisha. But before we begin, let's ask for the Lord's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, our prayer is that today, just as we sang as the words of Psalm 16 says, Lord, that our heritage would be for us, Jehovah, and that our heritage would remain in Him, Lord, that Thou would be our heritage, Lord, today and forever. Prepare us, Lord, for the day that we will receive our heritage from Thine hands. We long, Lord, for the day that we will be with thee forevermore. That we will leave the injustice of this, of this world behind. To live before thee and receive our full inheritance in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And until then, Lord, strengthen us to stand faithful in a world of injustice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps, maybe, if you have children, you have seen and heard this before. I want this, or I want that, or this is mine, oh, this is mine. It's my turn now, give it to me. No, it's my turn now. Maybe you have heard this. Perhaps several times even. There can be a lot of fighting over something really silly and small sometimes. Well, in this chapter, we'll see how just a vineyard was able to cause a lot of trouble, a lot of problem. It's almost silly even that a chapter that spoke of, of war, of killing of thousands of people, as it was last chapter, a whole city was endangered. Now breaks and gives space to a story about 
a vineyard, a small, tiny piece of land. But God's justice manifests over the destiny of a whole nation, but also on the small things, even on a tiny land. So in this chapter, we'll meditate on about God's justice in a world of injustice. God's justice in a world of injustice. And to do that, we'll divide our text into three points. First, the heart of injustice. The heart of injustice, verses 1 to 4. Second, a world of injustice, verses 5 to 16. And third, the end of the end of all injustice, verses 17 to 29. So first, let's consider the heart of injustice. Ahab goes to Jezreel at the end of chapter 18, as we read, after Elijah prays for rain, then Ahab goes to Jezreel. Then in chapter 20, he is in Samaria for the war, right? And there is one year between battles, as we saw, And now he's back to Jezreel, which was about 20 miles from Samaria. As as expected uh, from a king, he has many houses. Ahab has many houses, many palaces even. Let's remember the last time that Ahab met with Elijah was in the end of chapter 18. So it has been probably around two years since he saw Elijah for the last time. But now we are introduced to Naboth, a landowner who had the misfortune of having a vineyard right beside Ahab's palace. What could have been uh, a valuable land in the real estate market of that time would actually prove to be a terrible location. Now that the war is over, Ahab is here planning some redecoration of his palace. And as soon as he puts the eye on Naboth's vineyards, he has an idea. Verse 2. And Ahab spoke unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near unto my house. The expression here, garden of herbs, it's quite a unique term. It's only found here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 referring to a garden of herbs in Egypt. So maybe Ahab was trying to give a more Egyptian look to Israel, perhaps borrowing the trends of Egypt, which is the opposite of what they should do. But regardless of what kind of garden this was, probably a vegetable garden, or whatever type of garden there was, the point is that Ahab doesn't need the vineyard, he simply wants the vineyard. And what we want and what we need are two different things. But the main problem of Ahab was not his economic inability to deal with the land and to understand the value of land, but that he was not dealing with land as an Israelite, but as a Canaanite. Leviticus 25 verse 23 says, The land shall not... Be sold forever, for the land is mine, says the Lord. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. You see, a land could not be sold in perpetuity. All Israelites knew this. Someone could lose a land for a certain time. A land could even be borrowed by someone else, but it could be not sold in perpetuity. When the year of the Jubilee comes, the land had to be returned to the lawful owner. Land could not be sold because the Lord owns the land. Naboth knew this. So even though Ahab was willing to pay a fair price in cash for the land, he gave a firm response. Verse 3. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. In other words, no deal, Ahab. No deal. A simply and firm answer. At the same time, a profession of faith. Recognizing that the Lord owns the land. His land and his life is in the hands of the Lord. 
and that's the inheritance of his fathers. Naboth was probably one of those who didn't bend the knee to Baal. For him, keeping the land that Yahweh gave to his father, to his family, generation after generation, was more important than making some extra bucks and cutting a deal with the king. He treasured more the Lord's covenant than the king's coins. The Lord forbid it me. What in the land, Naboth was concerned about keeping God's commandments. And he would not exchange what he had with the Lord for any earthly goods. The promise of God were more valuable to him than all the coins of this world. After the answer Naboth gave him, we find Ahab heavy and displeased. The very same way that he ended chapter 20, verse 43. Once again, we find Ahab heavy and displeased. Ahab did not understand the meaning of God's inheritance. So the people's steadfastness to God's eternal decrees frustrated him. Perhaps he was even resentful against the Lord, to which Naboth professed. God was not leaving Ahab in peace, not even in his backyard. Once again, the Lord was there to frustrate his plans. It's just a vineyard. But for Ahab, it's the materialization of God always being in his ways. Here we really see the heart of injustice. The feeling that we deserve more. The the feeling of discontentment. The disappointment with what we have. That perhaps God is unfair. It's not fair. Out of a heart like this, any injustice can come. Any injustice can spring out of a heart like this. Discontentment can leave Ahab displeased even in a palace. Ahab is now in a time of peace in a palace, and yet discontent. While contentment in the Lord is what led Paul and Silas to find peace even in a prison, or even Elijah in the desert. You see, the truth is that we are quick to point to outside reasons to why we are discontent. But often the problem is in our own heart. A heart of discontentment. Maybe I deserve more. God could have been unfair to me. A mark of an unbeliever is that they may have everything. And still be discontent. Whereas a true Christian might lack all things and still be content. We see that over and over in scriptures. And we see that even throughout church history. How Christians who lost all things caught it out for joy because of the love of Jesus. We are not content with the evil around us. We are not content with injustice in this world. But we are content because we know that our, inher- that our inheritance is not from this world. Psalm 16 verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. Can we say with the psalmist and with Naboth that the Lord is my inheritance? He is my portion. Even if I lack all things from this world, He is my inheritance, my joy. Elijah fought to bring the people back to the inheritance that the people had forgotten. Naboth was clinging to this promise. And here we see the clash with Ahab, who forgot and even distorted God's decrees. Don't be mistaken. The world will always test us. Either we are counted with those who fight to death for God's inheritance, or... We will sell ourselves to the things of this present age. The Lord forbid me. 
that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. What a profession of faith for us to do. When the world tempts us, the Lord forbid it me that I should sell the inheritance of my fathers. Brothers and sisters, if the world pursue to negotiate your faith, have the same firmness as Naboth. For the promises of God are more valuable than all coins of this world. But soon enough, the heart of injustice gave place to unjust practices. A world of injustice. Our second point. Verses six, 5 and 6 tells us that Jezebel noticed that Ahab was not interested in eating. So she asked him what was upsetting him. And Ahab tells Naboth's answer. But it's interesting how Ahab chose to summarize what Naboth answered him. He says, I will not give thee my vineyard. You see, Ahab chose to live out the part where Naboth mentions the Lord. The Lord forbid. And he changed it to my vineyard. What Naboth has referred to as the inheritance of my fathers. This shows how they, they looked to the land from completely different perspectives. It was the same land, but two very different ways of looking upon it. For one, it was a piece of ground, perhaps a good backyard, good extension to his palace. For the other, it was God's given inheritance. A symbol of God's covenant with his people. Ahab was still a blind king after all. After all that the Lord had done, Ahab still couldn't see. And all that mattered for him was his own personal gain. So his wife then gives a very petulant answer. Like always, verse 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise, eat bread, let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. In other words, you are the king, aren't you? So arise, be happy. Be happy. I will show you how a king should rule. And I will give the vineyard. There is an emphasis here in the Hebrew text. I myself will give you the vineyard of Naboth. I will put this farm boy back in his place. I will, and I will show who the king is. So Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, a Canaanite. So she was thinking as a Canaanite. Jezebel probably never saw her dad doing, going through something like this with his subjects. He was the king. After all, for the pagan nations, there was no higher authority than the king. There is no God's law above everyone. No. What the king says is the law for the pagans. The answer to the rhetorical question of Jezebel, do you reign over the kingdom of Israel, would be no. No, he doesn't. The Lord reigns. They should have known this by now. The Lord reigns. Ahab should have learned this lesson. He saw the Lord ruling over ordinary means during three years of drought, followed by rain as an answer to the prayer of a prophet. Then he saw the Lord ruling over extraordinary means when fire came down from heaven on Mount Carmel. And then he saw that the God is a God of the hills as well as the valleys. That God is all-powerful. He should have known better. No, no, no. The Lord reigns over all. Not I, the Lord. But Ahab was surrounded by bad counselors. And a proud heart. For a proud heart, this is going to be quick steps towards prediction towards destruction be careful with whom you seek counsel 
Sadly for Ahab, even his wife was a bad counselor, was a terrible counselor. And here I must warn, especially you young men and young women, we're seeking to be married. Be careful with whom you marry. Or you might wake up day after day receiving the worst counsel you could receive. And one day, just like Ahab, you will fall too. Be careful with whom you seek counsel and be careful with whom you marry. So Jezebel sees the power to condemn Naboth. She was already used to having Ahab as a puppet, right? To guiding him. So to use his letterheads and seal was not a big deal for her. Jezebel's objective seems to go beyond the vineyard. After all, it's just a vineyard. But her intent was revenge against the Lord's decree. And this will be proven by the way that she seeks to execute Naboth. And what an irony, isn't it? That that they accuse Naboth of blasphemy against the Lord. When they were the ones who turned from the Lord into pagan idols. And now they chose to accuse Naboth of blasphemy. Against the Lord, what an irony. What a great injustice. How was she going to do this? Here are her orders. First, make it look nice. By proclaim a fast, verse 9. She wanted to give an appearance of holiness. To make it look as if it was doing the right thing. It might be evil, but let's make it look nice. Second, to use the system in her favor by finding wicked, uh, wicked witnesses. Verse 10. And sat two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. See, Jezebel knew the law. She knew the law very well. She knew that they needed at least two witnesses to sentence someone to death. That's from Numbers 35, verse 30. And she knew that the sentence for blaspheming against God was death. So she was using the law or twisting the law, using the system in her favor. And third, make it appear legal. Even if immoral. Make it appear legal, even if immoral. She obtained this by the trial and sentence. End of verse 10. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. See, Jezebel could have hired assassins. She could have hired someone to kill him. It would have been easier, quicker perhaps. She wanted to destroy Naboth under his own rules, or actually God's rules. She wanted to revenge God's decree, to play according to his laws and to destroy his servant according to his own laws. There could, be, there could not be a more absurd judgment, an unprecedented sin, Ahab's greed leads all people to sin. We see here how sin has a contagious effect. Not only Ahab and Jezebel, but then the nobles, and then the elders, and all those in that courtroom. Sin has a contagious effect. As the psalmist say, Indeed, deep calls unto deep. Jezebel's strategy was simple. It may be injustice, but we will give the appearance of piety. It doesn't matter if what we are doing is evil, as long as we give the impression that we are playing by the book. How is it is to live a life by appearance, when in fact we are doing the opposite of what God requires from us? See, if... Even the wicked Jezebel knew how to give the appearance of piety. 
when doing such a wicked thing, how much easier would it be for us who are in church to play by the books, to give the appearance when in fact we are far from it. To sit at church, to play along, pretend, but in your heart, you're so far from God. You want nothing to do with Him, with His laws. In fact, you, th- you, think, you think He is unfair. You can lie to everybody. You can deceive everybody else around you. You might even deceive yourself. But you cannot deceive the all-powerful and all-just God. You can't fool God. But in a world of injustice, the plan appeared to be working. And so it happened as Jezebel predicted and ordained. Verse 13. They carry him forth out of the city and stone him with stones that he died. This is the destiny of those who are not friends with government. Those who don't participate in the political game. And this is getting more up to date day after day. But the Bible tells us that we ought to obey God rather than man. So be prepared for the stones. Be prepared for the stones. Those who don't play in this political game, in this, this political campaign, will receive the repercussion. Persecution seems to be something so foreign to us. But be prepared. This is the destiny of those who are not friends with government sadly not just Naboth but even his sons his sons too as they would have been the lawful heirs his sons had to die Second Kings chapter 9 verse 26 makes it explicit with just a few signatures Jezebel managed to get a whole family killed was worth give, killing a whole family for it. It's just a vineyard. But you see, for a, for a greedy heart, for a heart of covetousness, it was worth killing a whole family. Life is so cheap. When we take God out of the picture, life is so cheap. Naboth paid with all his inheritance, land and children. The cost to obey God was his life and all that he had, all the life of his family. The cost to hold the covenant was to lose the inheritance. Or so it appeared. Or so it appeared on this side of eternity. Notice the simplicity and lack of affection with which everything is handled by the elders, by the nobles, the people in general, and especially by Jezebel and Ahab. Verses 14 to 16. Ahab didn't even ask what happened. He didn't even bother asking what happened. Everything is so, so heartless, so merciless. Ahab wanted the land... Jezebel gave a command. The subjects executed the command. Naboth was dead. Ahab go to the land. Simple as that. A little more and the author would have tell us. It was expected. Christians who get in the way of what the people of this world want. Get hurt. Dear Christian. You can't expect it to be hated. By this world. In fact, you can expect the same treatment that Naboth received if we are faithful Christians. The world and the devil will hate us, will persecute us. But had Naboth compromised, 
And Naboth compromised his faith, his belief in a covenant, in the God of the covenant. He would have suffered no harm. In fact, he would have probably even received a nice paycheck from the government. The devil would not bother attacking, attacking you if you're just a nominal Christian. You're writing his paycheck with no obstacle to him. But if, if you are a true Christian, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which, he, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. We should not be surprised by trials. But we should not fear it either. Yes, we should not be surprised when they come, but we should not fear when they come. As we face every trial and tribulation, as we face the opponent before us, know that Jesus did it first. He was hated first. He suffered first. He was killed first. And he was victorious first. He conquered death first. Jesus said in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus warned us we should expect this. You see, this is not the typical Jesus loves you and has a great plan for you type of gospel. Yes, he has promised us the victory, but it's not here and now, not from this world. There will be a fair trial, a fair judgment, an inheritance that cannot be taken from our hands. But it's not here and now. As David says in Psalm 16, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. You say Naboth did lose his inheritance in this world. But he went to receive it directly from the hand of the Lord. He no longer had a house with view to Ahab's palace. But he went to live in the palace of the king of kings. In the courts of the Lord. He went to live in a far better place, in a far better country. Jesus warned us, and he shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Matthew 10, 18. But fear not them which which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. This passage is preparing us for the day that we will have to stand in a trial too. For the day that we will have to stand with Naboth in so many sense throughout church history before governors and kings to stand for our faith. Or even for those days that we are tempted by ignoring injustice. The commentator Dale Ralph Davis say this, The text is telling us that injustice flourished not only by wickedness, but also by weakness, not merely from a lack of goodness, but by a lack of guts. No one came to help Naboth. No one stood by his side to tell that they were lying. None of the elders, none of the nobles broke the confidentiality to say that it was all a lie. You see, once again, we could be mad with Ahab and Jezebel. Oh, so wicked king he was. Such a wicked queen she was. But you see, the people were not different. They were in the same boat. They share the same sins as their rulers. So not surprisingly, they would share the same fate too. 
after World War II. The Lutheran German pastor Martin Narmoller spoke about his early complicity with the Nazis. As he survived out of concentration camps, he shared his word of his words of guilt and responsibility as he changed his mind with what he did. These are his famous words. Firstly, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the Catholics, and I did not speak out because I was Protestant. Finally, they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Brothers, committing injustice is a sin. It's true, committing injustice is a sin. But impartiality is also a sin. We are called to obey God rather than man. To stand in trial even if our lives are at stake. We think that often we will only be tested when we are the ones facing trial. But we will answer for our impartiality as well. But thankfully our text doesn't stop here. After the courtroom of man, we now see the courtroom of God. The end of all injustice. Everything appeared to be worked out as planned. And if the text had ended in verse 16, we would be tempted to believe that evil pays off. But just as Ahab started to daydream about his new royal garden, the text breaks with these words. Verse 17. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. We have known Elijah's relationship with Ahab very well to know what is coming after these words. Elijah would have a meeting with Ahab at the exact same moment that Ahab was planning his victory. There's no way to emerge victorious by doing what is evil before the Lord. Not even the king was above the scrutiny and judgment of the Lord. His verses are very good news for God's people. The first part of our text, we were almost holding our breaths, wondering, is no one going to do anything? Is the just going to be bullied by all the wicked from this world? Will the wicked go unpunished forever? So here comes the answer. Even if no one else sees it, the Lord sees and he judges. The secret letters of Jezebel are no secret to the eyes of the Lord. After the Lord brings Elijah up to his speed, he commissions Elijah with a sentence to Ahab. Verse 19. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Hast thou killed and also taken the possession? Two sins. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood even thine. The judgment that comes is not undeserved, but it's it's fitting to the crimes that they committed. This is what is called poetic justice. Unlike the twisted sentence that against Naboth, the sentence spoken by the Lord is right. It's fitting to their crimes. It's violent. It's humiliating, no doubt. But fitting 
to what they did. And we will see in next chapter how this sentence starts to be paid. And so Elijah goes, and as soon as he meets with Ahab, Ahab tells him, verse 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? Apparently Ahab was really trying to avoid crossing Elijah's way. Perhaps he was even hiding from Elijah. This reminds me of Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 when he sees a hand writing on the wall. The king's countenance change and his thoughts trouble him so that the joints of his hip were loosed and his knees knocked against each other. That's how I picture Ahab's re- reaction as he saw Elijah coming. Not because he thought Elijah was supernatural. Because he knew he was in the presence of the judgment of the Lord. The descendants of the Lord was imminent upon him. See how he calls Elijah, my enemy. Last time they met, Ahab seemed to have no problem with Elijah. They were going down the mountain at the end of 1 Kings 18. But now he accuses him. He accuses him, he calls him his enemy. So he knew very well where the prophet was going. Ahab had made the word of God his enemy. And he knew Elijah was an ambassador of God's word. Have you wondered why Ahab didn't attack Elijah in the first place? Why Ahab didn't send someone to kill Elijah in his palace? Because Elijah Ahab knew that this was a sentence from a greater judge. Elijah was just a messenger. See, you can be tempted to run away from the messenger. Perhaps you think that you can run away from the messenger. That you can outrun the message. You might not come to church anymore. You might close your Bible and never read it again. But the message remains the same. The message doesn't change. Ahab might be a pagan king, but he already learned that lesson by now. Yes, it is terrifying to stand before God immediately after we committed a sin. Our first reaction will always be like Adam in the garden. To try to hide, to run away, to hide from the Lord. But if sins remain hidden, even ears... Even after years, a rejection will always be like Ahab. Already. Already. You found me already. Fear itself is not wrong. The wrong thing is to think that we can hide from God's message. That we can hide from the Lord. That we can hide from His word. And that we can stay away forever. Elijah gives a strong answer to Ahab's provocation. I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. See, this is the state of someone who is unrepentant. One who sold himself to evil. Sold into the slavery of sin. Someone who gives in to greed and pride. A slave to sin. What a terrible, terrible place to be. And from this moment on, Ahab says nothing more. We read the sentence in verses 21 and 22. And at the end of last chapter, chapter 20, we already saw how God has promised to That Ahab would pay with his life. But now God extends the message of judgment over Ahab's posterity as well. For he has made Israel to sin. See, once again, sin has a contagious effect. 
has made Israel to sin, and now his whole posterity will also pay with him. There are more details given in verses 23 and 24. A humiliating sentence with animals devouring their corpses instead of a proper burial. That is a situation of complete abandonment. Humiliating sentence. Jezebel, with all her deception and cheating, thought that she could escape. Thought that she had escaped with her wicked theatrical cord. When she was actually, ironically, buying her graveyard. Buying the place that would become her grave. Judgment would come to the house of Ahab. But it might make us think, well, what's the point? It was too late for Naboth. This text doesn't promise that we will go harmless through this world. But it promises justice. It doesn't promise to escape injustice of this life. But it promises that God will bring justice. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the hidden. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall be upon thine own head. The day of justice is near. The day of accountability is coming. Ahab might have thought he would receive a prize. But God's courtroom had reserved another destiny for him. Man's courtroom might fail. But God's courtroom always gives the right judgment. Verses 25 and 26 gives a summary of Ahab's work as a king. Ahab lived up to his title of one of the worst kings of Israel, as he's called in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him. Ahab exchanged the only one living God for worthless idols, dead idols, which in the end could not protect him. Dead idols cannot be anyone's inheritance. Ahab got what Ahab got was different than what he expected. Ahab's reaction, in fact, is quite surprising in verse 27. The proud king who was just celebrating now gives space to a humble king with a sorrowful heart. And it's another Apparent and victory with a bitter taste for Ahab. Now even more so to the point of fasting and covering himself with sackcloth. Not just heavy and displeased as last time. Time after time Ahab was exposed to the word. And even humbled himself and fast. And yet he did not repent. The purpose of the word is not to bring us home with our heads down, but to make us repent. Be careful. External repentance has only external rewards, as it was for Ahab. He might have been spared to certain parts in this life, but the judgment remained. Be careful, external repentance has only external rewards. It was not only Naboth who had lost the inheritance that his parent had won with the blood, but all Israel, all Israel withdrew from the inheritance. And what about us? What have we done with the inheritance purchased with the blood of Christ? Have we taken for granted? Have we taken for granted all that the Christ purchased for us? Have we negotiated an inheritance of our fathers? What have we done with the inheritance purchased with the blood of Christ? But more surprising than Ahab's reaction is God's answer. 
God tells Elijah, verse 29, Because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Once again, the Lord's answer is mind-boggling. Have you seen Elijah? Have you seen how Ahab humbles himself before me? I wonder if Elijah thought something like this. Yahweh, you had it right. The, you had the judgment right the first time. Why would you change? You don't think this is a genuine repentance, do you? I don't know if Elijah thought this, but I certainly did. I, like many others, wish that God's judgment were faster. It's not instantaneous. I wish that the Lord would judge quicker. First, we must, note, we must notice that the fact that the Lord is postponing judgment doesn't mean that He's canceling judgment. If you go to Second Kings chapter 9 and 10, you will see all the blood of Ahab's lineage being shed. But for now, God is giving him another chance. It's hard to guess whether Ahab's repentance was any genuine or not. He's humble for sure. But he didn't give up on the land of Naboth. So it's probably not a true repentance. Just a profound remorse. Which was just short-lived once again. Curious how the Lord postponed Ahab's sentence because of his remorse. But he would still die before Jezebel, who apparently showed no remorse. Perhaps that's a sign that responsibility was first and foremost upon Ahab, who was the king. He was the representative, so he had responsibility in his hand, not hers. But why would God do this? I think the answer is in the fact that God is dealing both with the king as well as with the nation, as always. Yes, judgment is a strong calling for repentance. But so is mercy. By displaying His mercy, Yahweh is showing that it's not too late to turn to Him. The Lord is displaying to the people, you see, it's not too late yet. There is yet time to come to Him. There is yet mercy available If he did this to Ahab, who had just remorse, how much more would he do if we show true repentance before his throne? How much more gracious would he be if we genuinely profess our sins before the Lord, like David? Cry out to him. You see, yes, he's just. He's merciful. What a wonderful God. This passage encourages us to seek the Lord from all sides, both because of His justice, but also because of His mercy. Both to know that there is an imminent judgment coming, but also to know that there is a relentless mercy waiting. Jesus had an experience very similar to Naboth. As his last day approaches, he's betrayed, and he has to face a wicked trial in which false witness is brought forth before him, very similar to what we read about Naboth. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false Witness against Jesus to put him to death. The irony is that though they succeeded in killing Jesus, they failed to put an end to his work. In fact, through his death, he was accomplishing his work. He was accomplishing his mission. 
Now we can say that for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Yes, though trials and sufferings might come, through Him we are victorious. If you find ourselves in that trial, in the place of Naboth, in the place of Jesus, what would you say? Would you be friends with the government? Would you be willing to negotiate the covenant, the inheritance that you have? Or would you take the bullet? Would you take the stones? Is this a true answer living in comforting, actually going through persecution? But if we don't have this settle in our minds before it comes... We will not stand when it comes. So this is why we must learn this before it comes. Maybe you were wondering how there is justice. And yet, Naboth and his sons were unjustly killed. So what about them? So what is the point of all that justice? Is in the end, Naboth was killed with his sons. The answer is back in Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy hand there are pleasures forevermore. Naboth died, but found the paths of life. He left the presence of man to be in the presence of God. He faced pain and sufferings to find the fullness of joy. He lost the vineyard, but gained pleasures forevermore at the right hand of the Father. That is the answer. That though we might lose all things in this world, we will gain what is most important in the world to come with the Lord. Do you want to leave a valuable inheritance to your children? Do not look for Naboth's vineyard or for the things of this world, but seek God's decrees and His inheritance. Seek an inheritance from the Lord, for He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. That's the most precious thing you can leave to your children. All the things of this world might be taken away from you. Bring the inheritance that awaits for you in the Lord cannot be taken from you. Because Christ died so that we would not lose our inheritance. The price of buying us as God's inheritance was too high. It was too high. 1 Corinthians 15 57. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed, the chastisement was, of our peace was upon Him. The price to buy us this inheritance was too high for us to lose. How wonderful it is to be able to say, with the psalmist and with Naboth, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance today and forevermore. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our God, most just King, Thou art the perfect justice, Lord. And we know that that will bring judgment upon the earth. O oh Lord, evil will not go unpunished. And we long for the day that evil will be no more, even that our sins will be no more, Lord. And thou art the Lord of relentless mercy as well. There is a place, Lord, for those who turn to thee, those who 
they repent from their sins and sorrow over their sins. Enable us to stand as Naboth and as the psalmist to say that the Lord is our inheritance. The Lord is my portion. I take nothing from this world, Lord. I boast of nothing except in Jesus Christ. Prepare us, Lord, to face trials and tribulations. To stand in the courtroom of men. To be willing to face trials and even willing to die for thy gospel. And to be looking forward to be with thee. To be enjoying thy presence in the heavens. To be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed in our behalf. To be with the saints of all ages, along with Naboth and so many others who shed their bloods for the sake of the gospel. When injustice will be no more. Prepare us, Lord, for that day. And may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. We pray this in the most holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.